Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Manish, who is CEO of Plum Life. How are you, sir? How are you? Pretty well, thanks. Good. How about yourself? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm, I'm jealous of your professional background. I said that before. <laughs> uh, it, it, it almost tricked me the first time I saw it. Um, but for those of you that haven't, can't see it and are listening, this uh, manager has got a brilliant plum life uh, fake office behind him, which is <laughs> significantly more stylish than my blue blue screen. Um, but before I, I dive in and compliment you on your virtual background, um, if you'd be kind enough, manage to introduce yourself and, and, and the plum life business. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thanks, Alex. And I appreciate you, you having me on, on with you. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, so I'm the CEO of Plum Life. Uh, Plum Life is a new insure tech company, um, but it's built by um, four industry veterans combined over 100 years of experience. Myself, I spent 20 years at MetLife. I was senior vice president of global e-business as well as direct-to-consumer. Uh, so I built a direct-to-consumer business, uh, DeNova there. Uh, and I left there 2015 and spent the last six, six or seven years before starting Plum Life uh, consulting with a lot of large insurers in the U.S., you know, Mass Mutuals, John Hancock's, um, other companies like that. Um, so I'm an insurance guy, um, but I'm, I'm an unsatisfied insurance guy. I'm, I'm trying to create something that, that uh, makes make life better for, the, for what I call the heroes of the insurance business, which are the agents. Mm-hmm. The heroes, they'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true. There'd yeah. be no business without them, right? Yeah, well, that's that, that's very true. And I, I think, um, you know, we, you and I spoke before, and it's really interesting that you, uh, someone came on the podcast before and said in a negative way that that uh, agents and brokers are are the true customers of the insurance industry. Um, but what's great is that y- your business is built around the premise that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's true. Let's build something with them in mind. Because I think sometimes even when we're selling B2B to C products or B2B to C technology, sometimes pe- people are really thinking in a B2C way. And actually, they don't 
think enough about that that special bee that's in the middle, um, yep. the hero in the middle in the distribution. Um, so yeah, I want I want to find out about you thinking about that. So you're not fighting against the wave like the, there was very much from you never thought about trying to cut them out do the b to c play you were always going to embrace the, the the agent yeah certainly at plum life right so so i i speak from experience because i spent a number of years at metlife building a direct-to-consumer business and and even when i did that it was never about replacing the agents it was about is there a segment of society that it, that either agents you know don't necessarily want to reach out to that need insurance or is there a segment that would prefer to buy without an agent uh, and, and you know certainly what I've learned along the way is is there's there's not a large segment that want to buy without an agent uh, there is a large large uh, segment that that agents necessarily because of the insurance industry not because of who they are uh, it's very difficult for them to sell to right it's it's, it's, it's you know the process is as complicated for a small $100,000 policy as it is for a $10 million policy. So uh, if, we can't, if we can't make that easier to do, then you know, we're going to lose out. And so that's a lot of what Plum Life is, is how do I make the entire process simple for the agents uh, so they can serve the entire society? Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. No, that's so before I get ahead of myself, um, you know, yeah. in practical terms, your product and service to the agents is what? Is it the technology stack? Is it is it you know pre prepackaged uh, products? Um, just so the folks at home. Uh, yeah, that's no, a great great question. I appreciate you asking. Uh, it's actually it's an entire platform from soup to nuts. Um, so it's it's the it's the it's an agent portal that you know provides you with the ability to quote customers, um, complete applications have agents or customers do the application. It's fully digital, you know, works on a mobile device, which, you know, um, you would think, you know, in 2022 is, is not a big deal, but in the insurance business it is. Uh, allows you to manage cases, get paid commissions, everything's in one place uh, and it has product within it. So, so it's really a full, a full platform and it's pretty unique. Uh, we don't, you know, we typically see carriers they either work with third-party technology for parts of the experience and they, and they ask agents to really, they, they ask them to figure out how to work with them and they make them go to like four or five different places to do so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, so we said that that can't be, you know, they're, they're, the lives are difficult enough. They're already, you know, trying to, to, to reach out to customers to help them do something that they should be doing. And yet when they try to help them, oftentimes they, you know, they get hung up on or, or things like that. So mm -hmm. it's a tough business already. Um, so we, we wanted to make that simple. So that's, that's essentially what Plum Life is. It's a platform. You know, we don't, we don't require agents to pay anything for it. You know, they, they use the platform, they access our products. Um, and, you know, that's our business model. You sell our products and, you know, we obviously make money, um, but we don't, we don't require you to pay anything for the tools. Yeah, no, smart. Um, I think that's, um, I spoke to, I, yeah, someone's described it as a third wave of insure tech. Right. And I, and I kind of think I'm on board with this third wave um, off the top of my head. I can't remember what the first two were. Uh, one, <laughs> the, the first was definitely distribution. I'm trying to think what the second is. But in the third wave, they were really talking about the, the way the markets. We're not disrupting. Right. We're, 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 we're sort of evolving now. Um, and, and, and do you think you agree with that? And, and do you think that says something about 
um, you as founders, like you're from the industry and you've kind of said, look, this is a friction point of the industry, rather than kind of taking that outside view of saying, this is broken. It's like saying, no, it's not broken, but there's bits of it that can improve and, and you're spotting that. Um, yeah, I mean, where do you think we, we are in that insurtech evolution? And, and, and do you think that that says something about you as founders more than anything? Yeah, you know, and, and I, do, I do think we're in, the, in, the, in another wave of insurtech, whether it's the second or the third, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure either with you. I mean- Well, it's, it's clear that I don't know either, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I, th I mean, I do think you're right. The first wave was about distribution. Maybe there was a second wave that's still going on relative to like data and underwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, not as exciting to me as, as maybe this to others. Uh, but this third wave, I think, is coming, and it's about coming back to distribution the way it used to be, and how do you make that better? Uh, and, and I think, you know, whether it's an evolution or a revolution, I'm not sure. It is probably more evolutionary because at the end of the day, you know, we're not replacing agents. I think people have, have figured out that, you know, agents are here to stay, um, even though that, that first, the first wave was kind of, Hey, let's cut out the customer. Let's make this. Let's make this easier. I mean, cut out the agent rather. <laughs> Can't cut out the customer. Um, let's make this. Let's make this simpler and easier. So, so I think that has a lot of implications. That you know, um, around the kind of talent you attract to the industry. You know, you know. Um, I think some of these first waves. You know, no, and I don't mean this necessarily in a negative sense, but you know, people tried to buy insurance. They found that it was difficult, and they said, "I could fix this." Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a certain amount of positiveness, this right, that you have that type of confidence. But I also think there's there's you're missing a lot. You know, it's, it's not that simple. It's a regulated industry. You know, it's not only regulated by, you know, by by one entity, it's regulated by 50 different entities, because, you know, in the United States, there's there's 50 states that all have different rules and requirements. Mm. And, you know, if you don't know you don't know much about that and, and, and some of the idiosyncrasies, it, it could be very difficult. Um, so, mm. so I do think that, that this next wave is, is going to be, it's going to bring a lot of talent that's been in the industry and ha ask them to think differently rather than replace them. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, that does make perfect sense. And I think that's, I think that's one of the challenges of the industry. And I think, I think one of my criticisms of the industry has been that we, it, it, because I, I have exposure to other industries because my job is providing talent for insurtechs. So, it, yeah, if you need a chief revenue officer, it doesn't mean that person's coming from insurance. And if you're selling SaaS, it's probably better that they don't. It's probably better that they bring in, you know, these broader skill sets. But when you compare those other industries, people are very encouraged to change roles, change kind of industries. Like if you sell SaaS, it doesn't matter if you sell SaaS in, you know, in the education space or financial services space, whereas in insurance, one of our skill sets is we we get these hyper specialized skill sets, but the challenge is is moving away from that thinking. And and uh, you know I worked with a really smart kind of client once who said, look, if you could be the smartest person in in the underwriting team, I'm pretty sure they'd be the smartest person in the claims team, and they could probably turn their hand to the risk team. You know, and they were essentially saying, look, we need to get smart people in, and we need to. I think as an industry, let go a little bit. Of yeah. I think we're very protective over it because we think this is our, our value, but it's like, no, you're just, you're, if you're talented at that, you're probably talented at something else. And I think that's probably some of the shackles we're struggling to shake off. Yeah, no, I think, I think what you bring up is a really interesting point. And, and to be honest with you, you know, when we think about talent, we don't actually, it's not as important how much insurance industry experience you have. 
Um, and, and what we're looking for really is two things. Um, and it differs if you're in the industry and if you're not in the industry. You know, obviously you've got the normal, you know, do you understand if it's a marketing job, do you understand marketing and all that. But, but beyond that, we think about two things. If you're, if you're outside the industry, do you have, do you have, you know, yeah, we want confident people, but do you have the humility to learn and, and to think this might be different? Or are you coming in saying, I know how to do it. I've done it 10 times in these industries. You know, as soon as I figure out, you know, how to speak the language, I'll do the same thing I did somewhere else that we don't want. We want someone that's really inquisitive learning, you know, uh, and then the opposite, if they're in the insurance industry, it's not the opposite, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. But if they're in the insurance industry, how willing are they, are they to say, you know, I know how this was done before, but I'm still going to question it, right? Or, or are they going to say, I'm not going to fight that battle because they did it 10 times already. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the harder part is to find people in the insurance industry that are willing to, to say, you know, let me, let me look at this differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and likely probably because they've probably tried it a lot of times and we're, we're beaten down uh, uh, and they don't just, you know, they don't get back up. So that's kind of how we think about talent is, is it's all about learning really, you know, are you, what you interested in learning? Mm, yeah. I, I, it's really hard to, to, to be creative in a business context. If you're not given the, you know, we talk about sandbox environments, for example, for technology, for businesses and things like insurance, so you know people can fall over and we take some of the kind of barriers away uh but i don't think we do that with people enough on an individual level um you know we have grads when you get super great grads and you get these grad programs they, they work on rotation and i and i think then we settle you somewhere and then we go right you're never going to be rotated ever again you know like you're going to stay there um and i was listening to this uh i'm trying to think what it was on i was listening to a podcast and, and, and they basically um it was about venture and, and they said the problem with experts is experts are good at telling you what how it was done in the past or how it worked in the past and they were talking about that kind of innovative part of entrepreneurship and say when you're trying to do something new how you've kind of got to just listen to your your beliefs right and 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 taking it back to kind of the day-to-day on insurance now i I'm, I appreciate how big a challenge this is. A big insurance carrier wants people in their individual roles and wants them to work in that. But I do think we've got to try and be better at being braver at rotating our talent, taking our best people, trying them in different areas. Because um, it's the innovation that's going to make the business thrive as, a, as an industry-wide um, thing. Uh, I just don't think we're very good at it yet and we need to be better. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox for a minute and ask you some of the questions. <laughs> I, like don't, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's through variety that we learn, you know, and bring different perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's the whole concept of diversity. It's like, you know, it's not just about something that, that, that feels right. I mean, that is good. It does feel right. But it's, it's a business strategy. Diversity is about bringing different perspectives so that you can look, in, look, look at problems differently and solve them differently. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it applies to all types of diversity. That's that's when I I have my cringe moment when I when I hear people say not right cultural fit and you're going what you're basically saying is that that they don't they don't they don't agree with the same things as us yeah they're not exactly like me <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah what's interesting for me because I I I I get a lot of kind of you know we get a lot of the sort of tech driven startups that are you know from the tech world operating in the insure tech space. And they're going, oh, we don't want that kind of like closed insurance mindset. And what I think is interesting about that is like by saying that you're basically going all of those people in insurance <laughs> are the same, uh, and we don't want anyone that thinks like that. 
but then you're sort of you're having a group think mentality with you know this <laughs> yeah this in your, in your own thinking so yeah. um it's a really dangerous and difficult game to play in sort of building a culture um and that's why it's so challenging i think um what what about you guys so, so there's multi, it's four of you as co-founders um different skill sets or yeah how, how do you complement each other as a team yeah yeah I mean, it's interesting i mean we definitely we definitely have different skill sets we three of us have have actually interestingly enough worked together for probably 20 years and then the, the fourth one of us who you would never know that we hadn't worked together that long but it's only been a few years so it's someone we met you know in the last several years mm-hmm. um and and then we're hiring people again some are brand new to us and some of we worked with in the past uh I, I heard this study one time, and I don't know if it's urban legend or not, but they did they did this thing where they uh, they, they they looked at box office uh, success of Broadway plays, and they and they they graphed out you know has the cast worked together before or not worked together, and when they always worked together, everybody worked together, wasn't very good, and when they've never worked together, it wasn't very good. But in that middle, where like kind of half of the people have worked together and half hadn't that's when there was the most success. And, you know, again, I, I, I heard that, I think in a business school class or something, but it, it always resonated with me because it, it just made sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to be in an extreme of anything. And so that's, that's, I think the way we are with both our founders and the, and the employees we hire, like we, we definitely don't want to shun talent that we've worked with before, mm-hmm. but we also don't want to be comfortable and say, yeah, these are, you know, we've worked with only these people before. So that's, that's all we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to, you have to really balance that. And that, that's what we've been building here. That's uh, I can't I can't miss an open goal like that, Manish, because that's one of the problems <laughs> with, uh, with 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 clients and or potential clients, and we're talking to them about their hiring, and they're saying, in one hand, they're going, we we really believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm saying that's great. On the other hand, they're saying, I'm saying, how are you doing while you're hiring? Oh, we've got some adverts out, and then we're taking referrals from our existing team. Great. So that's. That's all the people that you know in your circle already. So that's that's already kind of a really limited kind of worldview. And then advertising is people who are currently actively, proactively looking for new roles. I was like, that by default cannot be like the most diverse pool. Um, now that's fine, but you can't you can't parade the two things. Like you can't. They yeah. are they are at odds with each other because because to to truly get diverse ideas in the door. We have to strategically, methodically kind of approach kind of how you hire new people. Um, now, that's really difficult in a startup. So I have massive empathy. Um, but at the same time, um, it's, it's, it's my pet peeve is when say, well, we're doing, we're doing everything we can about that. And it's like, well, probably no, probably there could be more to be done. But the speed at which you have to grow on a, on a, on a startup is, is prohibitive to some of the kind of stuff that you might want to do from a kind of a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint. Um, uh, but but long term, it can hurt you, I think, is because you're not getting some of those fresh ideas in the door. So that's that's the challenge. Um, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, let's let's bring it back to the agent. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about recruitment all day if I'm if I'm I know. Right. I know. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that agents have, have really had to adapt um, yeah. it, during the kind of pandemic. Um, so less of the kind of knee to knee stuff that they used to do. Um, culturally, how's that in kind of impacted the agents that you're speaking to? Um, how have they adapted? And probably obviously where has where Plum Life kind of fit, fit into that equation? Because, yeah. you, you know, you've launched over an interesting time. 
Yeah, no, and, and, you know, timing, certainly, you know, timing is everything they say, but, you know, the, the, the pandemic, if you will, and, and, and it, ha- it was happening before the pandemic, just because of new customers are becoming more digital native or digitally, you know, they require digital experiences, but, you know, agents, you know, historically they sold by coming to your house, right? You go to their office or you come in, it's a face-to-face sale. Um, and that stopped. That stopped, you know, with, with COVID, and so everything had to change. And I think, I think, I think an analogy for us is is always good here. It's 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 like what what finally happened in insurance is what happened probably, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago in brick or mortar retail, mm. where where people started to buy online. And so if you were a retailer in a local town, you had you had you had three choices, and and the third choice didn't come to a little bit later. But the first choice was just kind of ignore it and hope for the best. And I think we know what happened there. The second choice was to kind of build your own retail presence. Uh, and I think there was a period of time, I don't think you see it as much anymore, but there was a period of time where like, you know, GoDaddy and Wix and all these other companies did really well because when people were building their own websites and they were terrible. I mean, you know, you, you could barely buy anything on those things and, and, mm-hmm. and they're just more complicated. And I think now what's happened is, if you're a mom and pop retailer, you have your own goods to sell, you can actually succeed because of not just Amazon. You could sell on Amazon, you could sell on Shopify. They've built the platforms to make it easy for those retailers because they figured out the stuff that that on a onesie twosie levels, people can never figure out. Shopping cart abandonment, UX, you know, uh, you know, innovation like subscribe and save from Amazon. I mean, these things are 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 being done at that high level. And that's how we think of Plum Life. So we built this platform. It's got our direct marketing expertise. It's got our UX expertise, and we're bringing it to these agents. These agents who who you know they they could build a website, and actually a lot of them have, but you know they're they're not. That's not going to work. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Um, and so I think I think it's it's a unique time because I think agents are realizing they need digital tools. They need digital presence. Uh, and and it's very difficult for them to build it themselves. I mean, uh, the 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 feedback we get from our agents is they love it uh, because it 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 gives them immediately they have their own page that they can use in social media. You know, they can put it on their 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 Facebook, their LinkedIn, wherever they want. They have tools to allow them to prospecting. We do a lot of the the automated follow up and texting of their clients. I mean, we have text message programs when people start an application and don't finish. Um, I mean, can you imagine if you're an independent agent out there, like, you know, how do I know that somebody was in, was started an application and dropped off on page three and then text them something that, you know, that's, that's just impossible to do. Right. And so we provide those tools. And I think, I think that that's only going to accelerate this change um, of, of agents doing business differently. Yeah. That's super interesting. Cause I, I was thinking as you were talking, because, you know, you, you obviously U S focused business, you know, U S based business as well. Um, culturally, um, you're, you're talking about the, one of the most advanced insurance economies in the world, and yet life very traditional. Like there's, there's a lot of very traditional cultural aspects to how insurance is sold on this level. Um, why is that? Is, is it the complexity of the products as opposed to other parts of the world? Is it something else? I'm, I'm just sort of intrigued as your take on that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things to it, um, and it's interesting. Um, <laughs> this is what I go back to a, a lot of the times, and you know, insurance companies—the way they work today—is 
they pay a commission to an agent when there's a sale. Mm -hmm. uh, and if there's not a sale, they don't pay a commission. So they don't really, they don't really worry too much about that whole marketing interaction experience because they don't really see it and they don't suffer from it. It's the agent that, hey, if I don't make a sale, I don't get any money, right? Mm -hmm. And I've spent all this time working on that. Um, and I think that has a big effect. That's something that direct-to-consumer companies learned the hard way in that they went from, they, they took an industry that doesn't really care about the sale being finished uh, to spending all the money on marketing out the door up front. And so now they're, they've spent all this money and they've got to try to make sure sales close, but their partners, the carriers don't really care that much. Um, and so, so I think that's one thing that, that happened. And, the, and as a result of that, agents have built so many workaround systems that carriers don't even know about um, that, that kind of make up for the inadequacies of carriers. Um, and so it just kind of became like a, a snowball effect, right? Like, ah, we're not really going to worry about this. So we're not going to give you good technology to help you with this. So then they'll, the agents will figure out their own technology. So then there's no real cry for anything better. And I think now that that agents kind of, they can no longer come up with workarounds for kind of the things I was just describing, right? The direct marketing expertise, user experience expertise, right? They, they used to make up for it by, you know, hiring an ad administrative staff or, or, you know, other types of workarounds. So I think to me, that's a large part of it. It's, it's kind of the fundamental it's, and you figure it has to be something like that, right? It's not something like, you know, nobody just thought of that. It has to be something innate to the insurance industry. And I think it is that carriers are so far away from the customer. They're so far away from the, the you know, the customer that they have no idea what an agent goes through. Uh, and, and again, you know, and I don't mean to, to, I'm exaggerating a bit, but they don't really care because if, if an agent spends, you know, four days trying to close a client and an underwriter takes an extra week to do it and they lose a sale, what did it really cost the insurance company? Right. Not, not that much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because the they should care, right? Because on the aggregate, that 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 makes a big difference. But I, yeah, yes. I, I see that. You know, it's that it's that thing of um, starting to feel like my life now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's so funny because even on a personal level, it's like it's like my kids don't clean things up in the house, right? And it's like I'll be like, I'm not picking that up, right? I'm not I'm not going to pick that up because they should pick it up, and then like. You know, and I don't see them as much because everybody's all over the place. And after a day, it's like, it's just driving me nuts. I'm just going to pick it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like insurance companies. It's like the agents are like, I need some better technology. And the insurance carriers are not getting around to it. And the agent's like, well, I just got to figure it out myself. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and they go ahead and they do it because they can't. They can't They can't stand it anymore. Mm. Um, so mm. I don't know. I, I, it's just one of, of maybe probably a lot of reasons. But I do think it's it's something fundamental to the to the industry. Mm. And, and there must be a culture amongst agents as well you know it is a, it is a high performing industry like they are being efficient they are selling at mass like so if you're the carrier what's your incentive to invest in that yeah. technology to to arguably get the same result you know probably probably hit the same net result but you're just spending more to get the same result really so um, yeah I, I think i don't think they know how much i think it could be better i'll be honest with you like i think I think one of the biggest things you, you notice in the insurance industry is the number of, of clients who start to buy insurance and never finish. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's a very large number of, of clients. And I don't think the insurance carriers really appreciate how much they could unlock if they did do that. 
Um, because again, they're so far away from that. Uh, and, and you know, again, it just you know, to come back a little bit to plum life, I mean, that's why we think the agents are the heroes because it's so hard to do all this stuff and they get such minimal support. I mean, you know, digital to most insurance companies is like a fillable PDF. I mean, and there's still there's still a number of of, of carriers that require you to, to use paper. I mean, mm. you know, it's 2022 and you're filling out a, an application in paper. And, uh, you know, I, I have some companies that that will only support Internet Explorer. And I don't know, you know, you're, you're obviously very technical. Like, that's not a supported product anymore. No. It doesn't. I mean, it's like and literally I think it goes away in a few months, it's, but it is going it's away. Been, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. already been replaced. I mean, you know, most most nobody browser tests for Internet Explorer anymore. In mm. fact, I use a Mac, so I can't even. I can't, I can't use their tool. <laughs> uh, I, I had something recently where I think it was a mortgage thing. It was, I think it was a mortgage on my, and, and they wanted me to send them something from my business on letterheaded paper. And I was like, <laughs> I've got any letterheaded paper. They were like, well, you, must, you must do your business. I went, why would I? It's like, I don't have business cards anymore. Like I just don't, you know, I like I had some when I first started my business because like, five years ago, because I was excited about it. And it seems like a fun thing to have your name on it. And you're like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure some people still do. Um, but I just don't bother. I'm like, I've, you know, I, I've got the there's ways around it. I can I can share my QR code for my LinkedIn or, you know, this this sort of things that. And it's interesting that that's just the evolution of some of these businesses, exactly as you say, the kind of old fillable PDF. And that's their. But that, that's a lot of the thinking, and that's, that's where we go back to that innovation thing we're talking about, where that is an evolution of, and that is a better product than was probably there previously, because previously yeah. they sent out um, paper copies. But what a lot of this kind of like, oh, we've innovated, is we've taken a paper copy, and we've just replicated the entire process on a digital format without questioning whether the steps need to be there, if there's any proprietary data that could be useful or anything like yeah. that. So fascinating. I know that you've, you've, you're enabling the broker to have a lot, lot more analytics at their hands than they yeah. would do, right? So I wanted to kind yeah. of ask you about how, how does that help them in a practical sense? How does that help them make sales? Yeah, what are they doing with that analytics suite that you've got for them? Yes, yeah, so analytics are, are huge. I mean, and, and you know, it's really permeating society. I mean, I, I, and I can't watch a sports, a sports game anymore where they don't talk about like, you know, coaches are now using analytics to make decisions. Right. Um, and, and those coaches are, you know, some coaches struggle with it and, you know, some, some don't. And, uh, but uh, so, so for us, we're excited because the Plum Life platform has the analytics built in. And so we don't have to have these deep philosophical conversations with agents about, how do we use analytics or why analytics importance? They just they just get it. And so, um, how it manifests itself is they make more money. So uh, an example would be you know when 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 agents are trying to work with the client and they use their own email uh, or their own phone, let's say to reach out to the client versus when they use our platform, there's a thirty percent increase in in client completion of applications, and that's because there's a lot of analytics. It's just constantly looking at who's this client, what are they doing. When should I be? When should I be reaching out to them? You know, through a text message, through an email. Um, how should I be changing the process? Where are they dropping off so that I can, you know, analyze? Hey, on on page six, I'm I'm asking them this question to be a lot better. If I asked asked it on page two, I'd see a higher completion rate. 
And so all those analytics are going on uh, behind the scenes uh, and are just making life a lot better for agents. But but if you just you know if you're just creating a digital PDF, you're not going to get any analytics, right? And so that's why it's actually important that our platform does everything too, because you have to you have to look at not just one part of the process. You have to look at the whole process. Uh, we've seen a lot of people say, "Well, I'll just make my part of the process better," but it might make another part better. And so that was important to us to have the whole platform for that reason as well. Mm-hmm. It's such an obvious win. I, like, is there any pushback at all from agents? The, 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 and if there is any resistance to it, um, yeah, yeah. Where's where's that been? There, there's some. There's some resistance to it because, uh, but not much. Not in general, everybody's cool with it. But where, let me tell you that the things you have to be careful and the nuances are. And it's actually going back to the sports analogy, right? It's like, you know, the most of the time the analysts will tell you to do X, but sometimes you just have to use judgment, right? And mm-hmm. say, I know that's what the analytics say, but the game is going in this fashion and I'm not going to do that. Um, and so sometimes we have analytics that say, I'll give you just a practical example, you know, hey, send out these, you know, in these four days, send out these nine emails. And, you know, an agent or a client will be like, stop emailing me so much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and the <laughs> analytics will say, well, you know, I know you're making this customer upset, but you're going to get more sales by doing this. And, and you have to balance that, right? And so we see some agents saying, you know, hey, why, why, are we, why are we doing this so much, right? And, and, and so, so that's where you have to kind of bring in that non-analytics perspective without, without giving up the value of the analytics. It's, there is definitely an art to it, right? It's not, if you just do pure science, you, you're going you're gonna to get a pop, but you may do some long-term damage, right? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and that's a balancing act, you know, that that's, you know, that's, that's complex. And we're learning into that all the time. It's not like, you know, I, I'd love to say we figured it out. We do have a principle, which is, an, you know, if an agent doesn't want something, we don't make them do it. It's not yeah. like you have to do that in our platform. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I've got some, I, yeah, I'm big on investing in tech to do my role for me. Um, uh, and, but I still do all the sourcing myself. I, don't, I haven't currently invested any of sort of algorithmic driven kind of source stuff the type of stuff i work on is quite bespoke so that's never going to get but of course we use stuff to reach out to to schedule and all of this but and the stats always kind of there is a nuance to those stats and i'm, I'm like i know that even if people if it, even if it looks brilliant there's a certain level of content that you know, there's only so much people want to hear from me <laughs> doesn't, yeah. matter. doesn't matter how nice I might be um yeah so yeah it's really that's a really good analogy I think the sports thing of just going yeah the stats say this but sometimes you know sometimes you kind of that's where the expertise comes in um you've got lots of kind of direct consumer experience which we touched on um has that helped you in this kind of like development of this product, even though you're you're doing a b2b to c is is uh, where's that kind of like helped you out in, in, in building your business yeah I, I think it's been it's been critical um and and it's it's almost like you, you kind of said it b2b to c it's it's got the c in there yeah <laughs> um right. and so so you know you you have to you have to you have to understand the customer experience and what they're going through because you have to help the agents right um you know, they, they, they're bringing so much to the table. They're bringing things we've never heard of. Um, and, and we listen to that, but they're also open to listening to us to say, I know, I know, you know, you think this, this makes sense, but if you, if you do it this way and we did the DC this way, you know, you're going to get better results. Uh, and so having that, that, 
that comes to the, that that comes that brings it that bringing that mindset to the table is really important. It also is important in 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 treating our agents with the same mindset, right? So the D to C experience said, hey, if we didn't have an agent involved, how would we make this as easy as possible for the customer and make sure it happens? And then bring that same mind. That's a great mindset to have. It's like, how do I make this as easy as possible for the agent to sign up for Plum Life? Uh, to use the platform, to learn more about it, right? And, and it's that same kind of thinking um, that, that's helpful. And for us, it's critical because, you know, we, we have a lot of agents under us that have already signed up for the, for the platform. Um, and we want to make sure we're providing them, them value, but we can't just hire hundreds of people to, to call everyone of them, right? So, so our model is a digital model. And we primarily, you know, want to provide digital service, anticipate things that they need. Um, and so, so that makes us think about things differently. Like, you know, I'll give you a quick example. Most, most, uh, most tools that life insurance companies, they'll tell you, we got your application. It's in underwriting. And that's like the sum total of the status. Yeah, and yeah. usually the, and, I, and three or four days go by and the customer like, well, where's this application? It's like, well, mm. it's still in underwriting. Mm. Uh, but what is going on? And they're calling and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, we put right on our portal, you know, Hey, it's in an underwriting. Um, because, you know, for such and such reason, we had to order a statement from the doctor and, and ordering a statement from the doctor literally can take anywhere from a couple days to a couple months. Mm -hmm. And so we'll say, Hey, you know, we ordered this from the doctor, uh, that somebody made a phone call today. Uh, somebody made a phone call two days ago. Here's what they said. And just giving them the details of what's going on. Uh, because we learned the D to C space, you know, you, if you're not going to make an immediate decision, you have to keep people engaged. You have to keep them up to speed. And, and to put that right on the portal. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's just one example of kind of how that mindset has helped us. Mm, yeah, that's super. Uh, yeah, I can, I can see that kind of follow through. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you was about technology. Um, and I think you and I discussed this with a bit of tongue in cheek, um, but I do think there's a kind of, there's something I'm trying to get at here, which is one of the things I touched on in a, a conversation I had earlier today with someone was that, I think some of this kind of distribution plays, why, why they didn't take off in the way that the rest of the market had anticipated. Um, most of the time you're only buying insurance once a year. So it's like, there's only so much that I care as a consumer about making that process more efficient and better because it'd have to be really bad. Like I would have to spend days and weeks at it for me to care enough um you know to, to to sort of really kind of go to someone but so is technology ultimately is, is it people is it making people want insurance more or is it just potentially <laughs> making the industry more profitable i think is what i'm kind of getting at so like yeah. are more people buying insurance as a result of the technology influx or is it more that you know uh, we're just being more efficient so we're just making more money out of the insurance that it's already sold yeah i think I think it's it's more definitely more the latter. I, I don't think technology has made anybody want to buy insurance, which which I think people forgot actually. I don't think people mm. they didn't think about it. So so if you think about insuretech 1.0, you know, I think people said, hey, I mean, look at look at all these new innovations that came about with 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 the web and technology, you know, Facebook, mm. uh, uh, you know, virtual reality, gaming going to the next level. Um, Tesla building, people said, hey, I'm going to, I never would have done this iPhones. I never would have bought those things, but this technology is so cool now. I'm going to use this stuff. I'm going to switch over to this stuff. 
Insurance isn't like that. There's nothing cooler about insurance because of technology. Uh, it's you know it's it's you know it's it's still pretty boring. But but how I buy it is I think what's changing. Um, and and I think that insurance companies are figuring out um, how to do it more efficiently. Sadly, I don't know that I don't know that they're making more insurance companies are making more money just because of the the way the insurance industry is set up. They're still paying the same amount of acquisition to an agent whether that agent uses technology or not, it's almost become, um, it's almost become like I was, you know, the whole reason Plum exists is to say, we're no longer gonna ignore how hard it is for you to do your job. We're actually gonna give you the tools to make your job better, right? Even though, you know, you're, you know, maybe, maybe you know, we're still gonna pay the same, we're not gonna be more profitable, we're gonna help you make more sales and then you're gonna make more money. And then ultimately I think we'll make the more, more money, but more from volume, not from efficiency. Um, so, so it's weird because I think it, it will become much more efficient, but those, those gains hopefully, and I, I believe will, will, will redound to the, to the agents and the agencies more than they will to the insurance companies. Insurance companies will pick up things, you know, efficiencies around underwriting and, you know, electronic data and that certainly they'll make more money on that. But in terms of the sales process and, you know, that, that part of it, I don't, I don't think that's fundamentally going to change for insurance companies. No. Well, let's pass it on to the brokers. Uh, <laughs> there you I, go. The I, have affin- I have affinity with the middleman, as, as I would do. <laughs> um, there uh, you go. Manish, you've been super kind for your time. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, super interested to see what you guys are up to. And uh, yeah, I hope um, I'm going to be stateside sometime soon. So I hope we get a chance to meet each other in the flesh because um, I'm super excited to see what you, do, you guys do. That would be awesome. I would look forward to that. Yeah, thank Thank you you so much for having me again. No, not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.